Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. On today's program, one of evangelicalism's most prominent leaders, Ted Haggard, has hit new lows. We'll have the latest. And the American Bible Society's latest president lasted less than 90 days. The organization has had five presidents in the past 10 years. We've got news of the latest changes at this two-century-old ministry. We begin today with the latest chapter in the story of Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Yeah, last week, Lighten Group announced that it was shutting down. Now, if Lighten Group doesn't sound familiar to you, Lighten Group is the new ministry started by Sarah Davis, the former CEO of Ravi Zacharias International Ministries and the daughter of the late Christian apologist Ravi Zacharias. Lighten Group had a team comprised mostly of former RZIM employees, and it was founded in the fall of 2021 and supported by assets that came from the old RZIM ministry. It's not clear what has happened to the millions of dollars in assets owned by RZIM when the organization imploded in the aftermath of a sex abuse scandal. Now, the shutdown announcement appeared on the Lighten Group's Instagram page. Yeah, the announcement said, and I'm quoting here, currently we believe God is leading us to prepare for shutting down the organization. This decision was not easy, but we seek to be good stewards of the time, money, and resources entrusted to us. Given our small team and the growing financial challenges that lie ahead, we believe this is the right decision and timing. That announcement was short and to the point, but there's much more to the story. Well, yeah, I'll say there is. For one thing, when RZIM folded, it could have had as much as $40 million in assets. And as I said earlier, it's not at all clear where those assets went. Uh, also, there are donors who want their money back. Those could be the financial challenges that Sarah Davis is talking about. It's also worth noting that Sarah Davis' own husband, also a former executive at RZIM, and Abdu Murray, the former general counsel at RZIM, have already both found their way to other ministries and are attempting to get on with their lives there. Now, a lot of donors and some victims of R Ravi Zacharias think that senior management of RZIM were complicit in the wrongdoing of the ministry, and they've expressed concern that these former executives are continuing in ministry. Well, our next story also involves a fallen evangelical leader. Yeah, it's Ted Haggard, the former head of the National Association of Evangelicals who left NAE and New Life Church in Colorado Springs, a large church in that city, in 2006 after a sensational scandal involving a male escort, methamphetamine, gay porn, and other kinds of things. He is now denying that there was any wrongdoing in that 2006 scandal, and as he defends himself against new charges uh, that have come from elders at his second church, which also closed earlier this year. 
Now, the people who know me know these things are ridiculous, said Haggard in a sermon delivered to a few dozen members of now his third congregation, Storyhouse Church, which he launched just this summer after he closed down St. James Church. I hate the fact that public record of me has been established by people who never met me or don't know me, Haggard said in a July sermon entitled, Ted Haggard Responds to News Article Accusing Him. Haggard's latest problems were reported by Debbie Kelly of the Gazette in Colorado Springs on Sunday, and she first reported on Haggard on July 24th, and he denied the accusations in a sermon he delivered that day. Yeah, that's the news article and the sermon that I referred to earlier. Now, in 2006, after Mike Jones said that he had sexual encounters with Haggard over several years, Haggard resigned from New Life Church, signed a $200,000 severance agreement that required him to leave Colorado Springs and undergo counseling. Haggard refused to complete his regimen of counseling and restoration, which he complained was too harsh. And he returned to the Springs, claiming that he had been miraculously healed. Earlier this year, an elder at St. James, again, that's the church that has since shut down, went public with claims Haggard was still involved in behavior that should disqualify him from ministry. Yeah, again, uh, included drugs, gay porn, and inappropriate touching of males in the church. When those allegations became public, Haggard closed St. James, sold its building, and started Storyhouse Church in his home, which is near New Life. Yeah, and in that sermon that we referred to earlier, Haggard acknowledged that he's not perfect, but, and this is uh, kind of one of the bizarre twists of this story, Natasha, he pointed out that he had a premier rating as a Lyft driver. Up next, a group of New York clergy took more than a million dollars from a real estate developer who sought to turn distressed black churches into lucrative properties. Yeah, this information comes from recently released settlement documents, documents released by the New York Attorney General. The settlement posted on the Attorney General's website in August show that a bishop, two pastors, and a pastor's wife sought to conceal the kickbacks from congregations that owned the buildings as well as from the state officials. Yeah, two African Methodist Episcopal Church clergy involved have agreed to pay back more than $800,000 to the state of New York, according to these settlements. Retired AME Bishop Gregory G.M. Ingram, who formerly oversaw the first Episcopal district of the AME, which covers much of the northeastern United States, has also agreed to pay back $600,000 in what originally was a finder's fee that he got for the sale of the church properties. The bishop also agreed to sell a Rolex watch that he got as a kickback. Former First Episcopal District presiding elder Melvin Wilson, who worked for Ingram, agreed to pay back $300,000 as well. News of the settlement led to the AME's Council of Bishops to condemn the actions of their clergy colleagues. 
Yeah, that condemnation came uh, in a statement uh, just last week, August 31. It read in part, as a result of the findings of the Attorney General of New York and the signed agreement of two AME clergy persons, the Council of Bishops of the African Methodist Episcopal Church expresses our disappointment and condemns the inappropriate practices of our colleague and the former presiding elder of the New York Conference who currently pastors in the New Jersey Conference. The Council of Bishops also announced that Ingram, though still listed as a bishop on the AME's national website, will refrain from taking part in bishop meetings or other denominational events until 2024. Yeah, any further discipline against Wilson will be decided by the new bishop of the First Episcopal District. Well, Warren, we need to take a break, but when we return, turmoil at the American Bible Society. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll have that story and much more after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Now, up next, the story we promised before the break, the story of a management shakeup at the American Bible Society. Yeah, after just two years uh, as president, Robert Briggs has concluded his time as president and CEO of the American Bible Society. Those last words were a direct quote from a statement obtained by Ministry Watch just this week. According to the statement released in late June from board chair Karen McDonald and former board chair Jeff Brown, Brown will serve as interim president and CEO until a search committee is formed and a successor can be named. Yeah, that's right. But, you know, Natasha, it's precisely this point that the story takes a bit of a strange turn. We learned this week that now Jeff Brown is out as CEO after just two months on the job. Uh, we've reached out to the American Bible Society, to Jeff Brown, to uh, uh, Karen McDonald, the current board chair, for additional information. But so far, we've received no explanation for the departure of either Briggs or Brown. Now, I should add that one of the reasons that these moves are significant is simply because of the size and status of American Bible Society. ABS is one of the nation's oldest nonprofit organizations. It was founded 206 years ago. In fact, it was founded by some of the same leaders who founded the United States of America, including Elias Boudinot, the president of the Continental Congress, and John Jay, who was the first chief justice of the United States. 
In 2020, American Bible Society had revenue of about $65 million, though its expenses topped $100 million. So that meant that it had a $35 million loss for the year. Yeah, though I should add that that's not as bad as it might normally sound since the organization has more than $750 million in assets that it has accumulated over the past two centuries. In fact, Ministry Watch has been in the past critical of American Bible Society for sitting on such a huge pile of assets and not deploying them for ministry purposes. And in recent years, the organization has actually been actively spending down its assets on kingdom work, including the creation of a new Faith and Liberty Discovery Center in Philadelphia, where it's headquartered. Our next story highlights the possibility of new regulations for Christian healthcare sharing ministries. Yeah, Christian healthcare sharing ministries have been around for decades, and I should add, by way of full disclosure, that I have used them in the past with my family, and I had a great experience with Samaritan Ministries, the one that I happen to be using. But since the passage of the Affordable Care Act in 2010, this space, this Christian healthcare sharing ministry space has grown dramatically. Not only have existing organizations grown, but many new players have entered the market as well. To give you an idea of just how much the growth has been, in 2010, about 100,000 people participated in healthcare sharing programs. Today, that number is estimated to be about 1.5 million. And there has been some troubles as a result of that proliferation. Yeah, I want to stress that the vast majority of organizations uh, in this arena are completely legitimate, but there have been a few fraudulent operators, some of whom we've reported on here at Ministry Watch. And now U.S. Representative Jared Huffman, who is a congressman uh, who represents California's Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, is going after what he calls deceptive marketing and dangerous practices among healthcare sharing ministries, charging that customers have been left with unpaid bills. In July, Huffman introduced the Health Share Transparency Act. Yeah, and if it's passed, it would require healthcare sharing ministries to disclose a range of information to the Internal Revenue Service, to the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, and other federal agencies, including data about financial reserves, the ratio of dollars collected versus how much is actually spent on medical services, and the number of people who are enrolled in sharing ministries. And the industry is fighting back against this proposed legislation. Yeah, it is. Uh, healthcare sharing ministries um, are wanting to rescue the industry's reputation by forming an alliance of healthcare sharing ministries, a lobbying group. It founded that group in 2017, and it recently announced a new independent accreditation board requiring ministries to meet certain standards to demonstrate integrity and credibility. A former chaplain from the Federal Bureau of Prisons has been sentenced to serve seven years in prison for repeatedly sexually abusing a female inmate at a Northern California facility and lying to federal agents about his misconduct. 
Yeah, the man's name is James Theodore Highhouse. He's 50 years old, and he was sentenced in federal court on August 31st to 84 months, followed by five years of supervised release. He had entered a guilty plea to five felonies back in February. The judge in the case specifically noted Highhouse's sustained predatory behavior against traumatized and defenseless women in prison. Yeah, High House began working as a corrections worker in Federal Correction Institution Dublin, which is a Northern California federal prison that houses female inmates back in 2016. In his role as chaplain, he led religious services and provided spiritual guidance to inmates, including teaching religious-based classes about boundaries and self-worth. We're going to take another break when we return our weekly round of ministry news. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Now, we like to use this last segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. What's up first? Well, what's up first is Every Home for Christ. It's a 76-year-old evangelistic ministry that works in more than 150 nations and has made gospel presentations, it claims, in more than 2 billion homes. Now, they announced that Dick Eastman, who had been CEO for 35 years and is kind of a legend in the evangelical Christian ministry world, will pass the leadership baton to Tanner Peak on September 24th. Now, Eastman, who joined Every Home for Christ in 1976, that's the year I graduated from high school, by the way, says that he will transition to his new role, he's not retiring, as chief prayer officer. In fact, he added this, I am not retiring anytime soon. The ministry was founded in 1946 as Tract Club of the Air and renamed World Literature Crusade in 1952. Yeah, Every Home for Christ, which is, what, of course, what it's now called, started out providing evangelistic literature in bulk to nations around the world. Today, the ministry takes in about $60 million a year in revenue, and last year said it made more than 104 million gospel presentations in homes. Yeah, and throughout its history, uh, Every Home for Christ says it's delivered about $4.7 billion gospel presentations uh, in homes, and it claims that 243 million people have made decisions for Christ as a result of those presentations. That's wonderful. What's our next story? 
Well, I want to make sure that everyone sees a story about Dave Ramsey that we posted on the website this week. Uh, Dave Ramsey and his company, Ramsey Solutions, have been in the news for months. We've reported on some of the lawsuits that former employees have filed against the organization. This week, a massive cache of court documents was released, and we've got a summary of those court documents on our website. Orrin, I can understand why some of this information might be really interesting, but Ramsey is a for-profit organization, not a ministry. So why have we been covering it here at Ministry Watch? Well, that's a good question, but the short answer is that while Ramsey's organization is in fact for-profit, as you said, it takes in tens of millions of dollars from churches and ministries and individual church people who partner with him for his events and money management curriculum. So we think pastors, church leaders, and churchgoers who work with Ramsey deserve to know what's going on in that organization, because after all, the money might might be going into a for-profit organization, but it originates with donors. And Bob Smetania's great reporting on Ramsey provides essential information for church leaders trying to decide if they want to work with Ramsey in the future. We've also got an article on the one-year anniversary of the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan. That's right. On August 30 of last year, uh, the last U.S. military planes left Afghanistan, marking the end of a 20-year U.S. military presence in that country after the 9-11 attacks. The withdrawal fulfilled President Biden's promise to remove all American troops, but the resulting political vacuum enabled the Taliban to gain complete control of the region with what some have called breathtaking speed. And since the Taliban has assumed full control, Afghanistan has slipped even more deeply into a humanitarian crisis, and a lot of Christian organizations have stepped into that chaos to try to bring some relief. Do we know how many Christians are left in Afghanistan? No, no one knows exactly how many Christians are left there. While the Taliban claims that there are no Christians still living in the country, the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom estimates that the Christian population is between 10,000 and 12,000, at least as of earlier this year. The Christian ministry Open Doors can confirm that the small number of Christians in Afghanistan are forced to hide their faith or risk death. Yeah, and that's why um, Afghanistan now tops the Open Doors 2022 World Watch List, which is a list um, based on raw data, an annual ranking of the 50 countries where it's most difficult to be a Christian. In fact, Afghanistan bumped off North Korea uh, to be the worst country on that list. North Korea had been in that top spot for more than 20 years. We have a guest editorial from Open Doors, Todd Nettleton, that more fully unpacks the challenges in Afghanistan, and I really recommend that article to you. Do you have any final thoughts before we go? Well, yeah, just a couple of quick items. First of all, I want to make sure that everyone takes a look at Phil Cook's article on our site called The Loyalty Obsession, Why It's Hurting Churches and Ministries. I mentioned that article last week, but I wanted to add this week that I had a conversation with Phil on Wednesday, and we've posted that conversation in the podcast feed as this week's extra episode, and I really commend it to you. I also want to remind you that if you made a donation 
uh, make a donation to the Ministry Watch during the month of September. We'll send you a copy of my book, Restoring All Things. It's a book that I co-wrote with the Colson Center's John Stone Street. It's our thank you gift for the month of September. Just go to ministrywatch.com and hit the donate button at the top of the page. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosel and Jeff McIntosh. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Guttard, Stephen DeBerry, Emily Kern, Rod Pitzer, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Emily Miller, Todd Nettleson, Anne Stike, Audrey Jackson, Alejandra Molina, Bob Smetania, Jesse Jackson, Jessica Ederalde, and Steve Raby. Special thanks to the Christian Chronicle and churchleaders.com for contributing materials for this week's podcast. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.